When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We are back. This is episode 158. Getting up there. Scope creep. Traveling salesman. 100% uptime. Now, this has actually been a point of debate. Traveling with one L or two. I think the UK is double L, which means Canada is the double L. And the US is one L. And I don't know about the rest of the world. I'm not a linguist. I don't know if that's even the right. I'm not an English professor. I don't know. I'm not the I'm not the professional for the job here. But Mike wanted to do the one L to lessen the amount of keystrokes on his L key on his keyboard specifically. He was concerned about that. <laughs> So we did the 1L. Hopefully that is okay with <laughs> with everyone. That this is a ridiculous like a ridiculous tangent already. I'm Matt that's doing the tangents. That's Mike and this week we will be talking about ridiculous requirements. Things that clients, bosses, jobs, freelance bosses, whatever come to us and say, "Hey, I'd actually like some background music for my No, get out of here. So that type of thing scope creep all those types of things. Now, if this sounds interesting to you, because it should, because this probably has happened to you at least once, and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review, rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server, share this with your friends. And now, Mike, you told me this was going to be a crazy episode, a good episode, one that I'm. it's going to hit some notes, uh, personal notes, whatever you want to call it, make me rant, apparently. So, Mike, please, sir, take it away. All right. Uh, so yeah, I think we've all been there. We've all been to been at that meeting or talked to that client and they just off. Usually it's always offhand. I found it's never like they are centered on it, but they're usually offhand. Like I need you to build me this, you know, it should be easy. So they just say something like random, like I need you to build me a crazy application. It should be easy or whatever. And you just are left sitting there, you know, jaw dropped and trying to pick up the pieces because you need to figure out how to respond to a ridiculous requirement. So what I wanted to do today is bring up some ridiculous requirements. I actually went and solicited Twitter and got a bunch of feedback on this, like where people were telling me how like how their bosses made them build. One of the things is literally someone asked the, the, them to build a, a, a machine learning model to forecast the future. We'll get into it really soon. I'll why, get, why not? I promise. Yeah, I mean, why not? Exactly. Is <laughs> there not a web app for that? <laughs> yeah, like that's, that's what, that, that was the most ridiculous one, but there's a lot of other awesome ones and more relevant ones for sure. So let's get right into it. The first thing here is when, the, when someone asks you to do an NP complete problem. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obviously explain what that is. So an NP complete is a non-deterministic polynomial problem. There's a there's a lot of these. I'm not going to get into all of them, but it's essentially a math equation that can't be solved with an algorithm. One of them, one of the most popular ones, the one that I learned in school, is called the traveling salesman issue. 
And this works for traveling salesmen. This works for logistics management of like trucks. This works for like stuff like Uber, a, a, a system where there's many points on a map and you need to calculate what the most efficient route would be between all of those points, like which point to start at and which point to end at essentially to get there. And why this is an NP complete problem is that there is no mathematical equation that can just tell you exactly, like, you know, you input all the points on the map, all the coordinates, you input, you input your gas mileage, whatever, and all of a sudden it outputs the route for you. No, there is none of that. The only way to solve it is to literally check every single route. Now you can do that like with a with an algorithm like with an algorithm as in like a loop essentially and check every single route there are some optimizations you can do to make it a little bit better but the more points you add the more complex the problem becomes and the more difficult it becomes to solve because it's it's literally brute forcing so when someone comes up to you and I'm going to ask this of you Matt uh, and then I'm going to give my own answer when someone comes up and is like hey I I need the system you know like we we are we're we're starting to build a logistics company and we want to build a system where our trucks, like we, we need to know the most efficient route for our trucks to go when they have like, you know, 50 different locations that they need to be in. The mindset that they're trying to get to you is that this is a solvable problem with a simple algorithm. But really what you have to relate to them is that this is not something that's going to be like, hey, I can just take an off the shelf thing to do it. No, you're going to have to like, develop something or literally brute force it and sometimes brute forcing it could require like literal massive you know data center type information like uh, infrastructure like this is not a cheap thing to solve so if someone comes up to you with this kind of problem matt what would you do i always try to break stuff like this down because sometimes and we do i deal personally with a lot of smaller businesses so sometimes they're asking for something that's way above scope due to convenience. So they think it would be convenient for all their trucks to just know where to go. But all, what what they really need is something to tell them the shortest route. So maybe like plug into a Google uh, Google Maps API or something like that and determine the shortest route type of thing. That's kind of usually what it boils down to. But sometimes you got to tell these people straight up, you know, this is going to be like a, like a, I'm going to have to get some server power. Like there's going to have to be some computing power behind it and like to and to to fix this. So we had an incident uh, a couple of years ago now, or maybe a year ago, where I can't say exactly what the project was, but we had this incident where we had questions that were answered correctly, incorrectly, or partially correctly in like a quiz format. And one of the requirements was we need to know which status it's in. So that's easy enough, right? You have different, you know, green, orange, red, basically. Those are those are your statuses. Uh, green's good, orange is partially correct, and red is you did it wrong, right? Pretty simple. But they wanted us to dynamically pick and choose the. There'd be like a little tooltip that would come up and be like, "Hey, you got this wrong. This is actually the right answer," or something along those lines. And they wanted us to dynamically pick and choose in the incorrect pool of answers. So, like, let's say you got five out of ten correct, they wanted us to put a little tooltip. Only besides certain results, and the, then the particular software that we were using just couldn't do it. It was a particular software that we had to use. That's not that's not what that software did. It's just not possible with this software without some serious manipulation. And so I had to explain to them in this particular instance. I told them, 
if we were building the system from scratch, sure, we could do something like this. But we are at a stage where we're probably going to have to do something like read the screen or read through the results and build out a custom tooltip thing, all because some answers might be in orange state. And so they were adamant about this, and we ended up having to change all of the questions to green or red states with no potential for orange due to this issue. So there's like a solution there, but they just think, oh, it's just easy, just go do it. And you you have to explain to them, like, in this particular case, it's it's not possible because we have to use X software and it's just not a part of this software set. There's no there's no API for us to access. We're not gonna tear apart all the core files. You know, come on. Like this is a ridiculous small thing. And so usually it's a compromise. Usually it's something along those lines or the convenience thing, as I've always mentioned, as I've already mentioned. And oftentimes, if those two things aren't what hap- isn't what's going on or they, they're not willing to compromise and they just want it done, you just got to say goodbye. You just got to say, sorry, we're not capable of doing that. I would suggest talking to someone else. And sometimes they'll just stick with you. They'll be like, oh, you don't know what you're doing. Okay, fine. And sort of like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. That's fine. And that's sort of it. Because people think that Everything is just super simple, but or everything is super simple, including the complex stuff. But in reality, first of all, AI is in its infancy. Machine learning is pretty new, right? And so just like like us humans, like this is a new piece of technology. This is a new thing. So us applying this like really high level algorithms or machine learning or having an AI decide stuff or read the screen and decide stuff is super complex, sort of bleeding edge stuff. And some stuff can be boiled down, of course, but people just think everything's easy. When in reality, most apps are just fill in this form, answer this question, do this, do that. And then the algorithm will dynamically determine, oh, he was online this long and he looked at videos that had the tag gaming. So then therefore he likes gaming videos. Like realistically, that's at the end of the day, the simplicity of some of these algorithms. Yes, they're getting more complex and more complex than that, of course, I'm I'm simplifying, but the information is like I put in the information and then the the algorithm looks at it. A lot of the times these people are asking for information to be like generated or for things to be generated from like a tiny or non-existent data source. And then it's just like, okay, I can't do that. Sorry. Moving on. So that's it. Basically, try to compromise, try to boil it down, try to get them to go with an alternative. If they're not willing to budge, say goodbye. They'll either leave or they won't. And then that's it. I love it. I, I, I don't think I could have said it better myself. So <laughs> I'm not going to say it. I think I think you nailed it right on the head. Um, just w- one more example of like an NP problem, because I, I mentioned the traveling salesman a lot of times. And this one is probably even more common than like a logistical thing is automatic scheduling. So scheduling events for optimal, like, you know, optimizing an executive's day or something like that. If that's something on the table, that's when you should like really pipe up and be like, hey, that's that problem is not easy to solve. Like that's not something we can just run through an algorithm and get. Like that's going to be something that we're going to have to either code ourselves with that person's day in mind and have it really custom to that person. Or it's going to be one of those brute force things where we try like a million different things. And again, that's expensive. So just another example of that, uh, of an MP problem. And like I was saying before, <laughs> with the uh, another NP complete problem, I guess this one's probably even more ridiculous, is the one that I mentioned earlier. I'd like to build a machine learning model to forecast the future, but without any error. That was, that was what... <laughs> 
<laughs> e- what the guy. Mike, Mike, hang on. Easy. Yeah, easy. Yeah, this, I just want to call it out. Uh, it was Phil, I think, from the four day work week on Twitter, Phil, at Philostar. Uh, I'll have all the, there's going to be a bunch of different people that have like, uh, commented. So I'll have them all in the show notes if you want to actually follow them, but I'll mention them, obviously. But that, that one got me pretty good. Like, <laughs> if I was asked that, I don't know. I would probably, um, I would probably say this, and this this might not be the right thing to do, but I would probably say with infinite amounts of resources and infinite amounts of time, I will do it. Yeah, I did tell you one time, Mike, that there was a project we were working on that was just like dra- dra- uh, droning on, I guess is the word, that, like you just kept going on and going on and going on and little things kept getting added and it was a fixed payment structure. So like that was really the issue. So basically the amount of made per hour was going down. And I, I told you, I said, you know, I'll sit here and talk about like the spaces between the little holes in a speaker from now until I retire if you pay me per hour. <laughs> now that's that's obviously it's obviously an exaggeration but still if you want to sit there and talk about ridiculous little things i mean sure you know um we've had this issue where and we'll talk about it where scope creep this happens with tons of people where they'll they'll come in and they'll be like this title's not like this uh this is uh the wrong uh device frame that's a common one uh there this is the wrong this the wrong that and like yeah of course fix things that are actually problematic but when people keep like going over and over and over it because you have to remember something too there are imperfections in literally everything there's imperfections in new things you buy three brand new phones all the same some of them will be more clicky some of them won't have with the buttons some of the screens will be a little brighter like there's a degree of error in manufacturing something that is as perfect as it's supposed to be so there's going to be issues in complex systems like there's going to be issues like what are you talking about I mean, no, yeah, it has to be, it has to predict the future. What are you talking about? It has well, wait, to like, like, wait, like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't <laughs> even know what I'm going to have for dinner. Like, come on. <laughs> I mean, I, I wish I got that. Uh, I got that as a requirement at some point. That would be amazing. Um, but I think, I think what you brought up there with like having issues is a perfect transition to the next one. A client asking for a hundred percent uptime. Oh, this, yeah, this, I knew you were going to, I knew that was the oh. exact response you're going to have because we've had, this is something that's happened to us. This is from us. Uh, we've had someone saying 100% uptime, like even, even with like migrations, got to have 100% uptime. Oh, yeah. Like we, yeah, we've had issues where we've had clients go, like, we need the whole infrastructure moved, the whole, like, you know, you're moving hosts, which is, you know, a big, a big deal and a small deal, depending on a big or small deal, I should say, depending on your setup, whatever, right? Takes a while, this and that. You got to choose the right host and whatever. And, uh, and then there's other types of migrations, of course, like maybe you're just moving uh, like like an intranet site or maybe you're moving just the company's exchange server or something. And like there's going to be generally speaking, there's going to be downtime with stuff. Here's the thing. We're web developers. So, you know, we can kind of zone in on like website and web app uptime. And I have this like huge issue where people are just assuming that I am ready at all times to answer them. And I was thinking to myself the other day, I was like, in like when we were in lockdown, like COVID lockdown, which we're not in currently as of recording this, we were in COVID lockdown. It was kind of ridiculous to assume that I would always be ready to answer and help, but it wouldn't be ridiculous. Like, like it it was less ridiculous because I was like around, right? Kicking around the house, maybe I got my phone on me, whatever. But it's still ridiculous to assume I'm just going to be working all the time. 
now that we're like opening a little bit here, it's really ridiculous to assume that I'm literally just going to like that. I'm literally just going to be available. Like the other day I went to Niagara Falls. Am I supposed to bring a laptop with me to Niagara Falls and then have my phone there and have it ring and be ready, like have it in a holster, like a phone holster and have my phone, have my, have my laptop in a messenger bag and be like, okay, we got three clients. They got a few hundred people in their web app. I'm ready to rock here. They go down. I'm ready. I got all my backups. I got all my, like, like, what are we doing? What are we as people doing if that's what we assume is going to happen? Well, because the, the worst thing is, sorry to interrupt, but the worst thing is, is that they're assuming this without actually like paying for that service. That's what I was about to say is, is we didn't advertise this. We didn't tell them we were going to do this. And they know that they're coming to a small company with a few people. They know what's going to happen. There's going to be issues. And yet, like, I remember the one time I've, I've told people, like, I'm off on weekends. And it's sort of like, what do you mean you don't answer on weekends? And I was thinking to myself again, I was like, is it ridiculous for me to make, like, a weekend plan where I'm, like, out of town for two days? I don't think so. But professionally, I guess it's kind of ridiculous. Like, maybe I should just stay home and just just in case. Like, is that what I'm supposed to do? And I think a lot of people do do that. Even if I'm not going out of town, like, it doesn't have to be that. Like, if I need some downtime and I just want to play some video games, as you know I do, like, I need that downtime. I can't be always at the ready because then I'm never actually leaving. And 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 the issue is, is, like, in your own brain, you think, okay, like, let's say it's a web app that, I don't know, processes tickets, like, it sells tickets to some event. It goes down on Friday night. You've already put your phone down, your work phone. Put your phone down. Now it's down for two days. They're going to be freaking the hell out. And that's pretty bad. But like, if they are they paying you for the, the for the support during the weekend? No. So like what? Like, unless they are, of course, if you have a 100% uptime policy, which don't do that. But if you yeah, do, do, then that. of course, if you say you're available all the time, then of course be available. But we don't say that. And people just think like, oh, it's okay. So it's like, oh, okay. So I'm I'm an hour away, two hours away on like a day trip or something, I'm supposed to like run home now. Like, Oh my God. Oh my God. This ticket software is down. Oh my God. And just like run. And the worst part is, is if you see the email, at least I will, I panic full panics are sweating, freaking the hell out. And I, and like, I'm at this like weird stage in my career where like, I'm and, and this like, I'm doing this right now. Like I'm always scared of something going down. Just like scared the whole time, which isn't good. I realize that's not good. But I think it's due to stuff like this where people are just like, yeah, it should just be up. Like, I remember one time embedded links went down in Webflow and I was contacted immediately and it was like a huge thing. And it was like, well, I can't even I can't even be the one that fixes it. Like Webflow's got to fix it. Like it's there. That, like it's just it's just one of these things where like you don't realize it. I think, you know, IT IT people, they assume you know, there's going to be shifts and coverage and things got to remain up as long as they can. Not 100% because that's not possible. You know, they need to be as close to 100% as you can, of course. Even hosts go down, right? All this. And hosts have 24-7 teams where generally they're, they're scheduled shifts, 12-hour shifts or eight hours or whatever and this and that. But like you come to a small team and you expect 100% uptime. I mean, you're going to have to pay for that. Like you, like you have to pay the wage of the person that's sitting there. All the time, 24-7, waiting to answer your message. You have to pay them because it's it's not just, oh, but you could be you could ju have just been watching TV. Yeah, watching TV, but at the ready. 
Like I'm never unplugged. You have to pay for me to be plugged in. Yep. And, and we're uh, very, and people we're don't very get that. upfront. We're very upfront with our like SLA with our service service agreement. It's not 100% in any way shape or form and we still get these issues. And like I like to point I like to be nice like we're nice about it. Like sorry, Matt Matt is super nice about it. I'm super nice about it. Like we're very we're very understanding, we're very reasonable. Sometimes we do answer in the off hours like we're flexible. But in times like Matt's saying where he's in Niagara Falls or he's on vacation somewhere and I'm on vacation and stuff like that, there is something in the service agreement saying like, hey, we're, we have like a 24 to 48 hour SLA. Like you're not paying for the service for anything greater than that. There's something in there. And sometimes you just got to be like, hey, Google goes down. Like it's unfortunate, but like. Here's here's some examples like Google go, like we're not Google like we're not a multi billion dollar company and they I, go yeah. down and I've and I've told people that I have said like people will be like we need 100 percent uptime and I tell them Google goes down and they will literally come back to me verbatim and say irrelevant not irrelevant actually yeah and 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 if you try and I've tried and I've stopped doing this with people I'll try to explain because we try to be kind of blunt and I I've been pulling a lot of technical like talk out of what what I tell the customers because I used to just tell them what's going on. At like a like like a, a non jargony technical way to explain it. Now I just kind of take the tech out and or like kind of remove a bunch of that because I would try to tell them like there's like literally you know data centers and this and that and the other thing and I would explain it in a way that was like pretty simple and I would say like if some guy you know or some random data center sorry has like a random problem some guy trips on a, a cable and it pulls out a major switch or the DNS in Canada is having issues what am I supposed to do about that? get out there with a WiMAX antenna and like climb to the top of my tree outside and then like put that up there and then like hit like the Starlink satellite. Hopefully that's a redundant, like, what am I doing? Like, what are you expecting? And people, I love the one thing I had an issue the other, the other week where people were, people were saying there was a DNS issue where it was already being addressed. And we had client inner like emails coming in that were like, we need to do this immediately. Like we need to do this now. And we want to do it now. It's like, okay. And, like, I get it. Like, people get mad. They're like, well, I'm paying for this, this and that. But, like, I get mad if my internet goes out. I get mad about this. I I do. But I get mad and then I don't really, like, call them. I'm not going to – unless I was like, hey, it's been down for, like, six hours. What's going on here? Or if it's, like, going up and down, it's like, oh, maybe the line screwed up or something. Like, I can kind of do it. But, like, my internet went down on the weekend and I just waited and it came back and that was it. Like, then, then it just – you know, that was the end of it. But some people will just immediately be like, we need this now. It's like, do you realize that, like – it's not magic that's powering this thing. Like your phone in your pocket, every time you take it out of your pocket to unlock it, it might break. Are you going to freak out on Samsung? Maybe, but like you have to realize that there's a potential that that phone might not unlock today, tomorrow, four times, like your, your fourth unlock of the day, might, your phone might be bricked, toasted. That's it. It's over. But people just think that everything's just like, oh yeah, like whatever. I can't be at the ready and I'm trying to get better at that. Like I'm going to like have a heart attack. Like seriously, I'm going to have a heart attack with some of these things. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that that's, that covers it pretty well. Like it's, it's one of those things that you, you shouldn't guarantee. And if you get something close to it, you should definitely be prepared for customers. Like Matt's saying, if you're, if you're going to be receiving calls, you know, 3am because they're, Small business website is down and Jimbo down the, down the street can't access the plumbing utilities that they that they need online at 3 a.m. 
and they make a big deal about it and stuff like that, you're going to need to answer, you're going to need to have an answer for that. So again, having it in your SLA, your service agreement, having it very clearly stated that you don't answer the phone after a certain period, and then respecting your own boundaries too, right? Being flexible, but also being very blunt. Like if you, if you are flexible, tell them that you're being flexible at this point. Like usually you wouldn't answer, but you are answering right now, right? I like because that. if it's not, yeah, if it's not in the in the service agreement, then you need to tell them. Because if you all of a sudden start answering the phone every time they call you at twelve, and one day you don't, and you weren't upfront with them, then they're going to assume that you're just like dodging their calls and you're being a bad customer service representative for your company. But really, that's not the case. You were being a really good customer service representative, and now you're actually following your own rules. So you need to be upfront with that. Well, I'd like to state too is even if it's just one person trying to use the site that can't get in, even if it's a hundred people trying to use the thing, there comes a point where you have to say to them, you know, you're going to have to either a go to another go to a bigger company, or b you're going to have to pay me something in order to have someone on a shift where they look after it from this hour to this hour, and I look after it from this hour to this hour, like to have coverage. You're going to have to pay for that, and people will get mad, like, oh, well, this should just work. Well, cars should just start. Tires should just roll and not blow like leak. Uh, bikes should bike chains shouldn't fall off. Yep. Welcome to the to the world we've built. Yeah, it's <laughs> things chaos. sometimes Every, don't chaos. work. Like <laughs> we've had a microphone break in the middle of a podcast. Welcome to human made things. Yep. I, I yeah, almost we, every we time saw. I said that I wanted to say welcome to Jurassic Park. Yeah. One day. Not that big of a fan of Jurassic Park, though, I will say. And that's weird that you wanted to say that. Because it's like, I that's the one line that I remember, really. But, like, it's a good movie, but people freak out, and I'm just sort of like, it's dinosaurs, it's cool, but okay. <laughs> not a fan of dinosaurs. Matt's not a fan of dinosaurs, everyone. Hey, you heard it here first, that's it. Yeah, yeah, got the scoop. Um, okay, so let's move on to another one of our big topics, which is scope creep. So, essentially, scope creep is adding features after the, like after you get your requirements, you start building something out and all of a sudden the client's like, hey, you know what? I need, you know, I need this. Like, and it's usually it starts small and it's probably just the client testing you being like, hey, can I change that title? Uh, change that layout, like layout a tiny bit. And for, for the most part, we're always, you're always like willing to do that. Matt's always willing. I'm always willing. Usually people are willing to do small little changes like that after, even after the designs have been approved. No problem. But then it always like steps a little bit, not always, but like consistently. It's like, hey, can we add like a contact form to this page when we didn't agree on it? And all of a sudden, like you're building out a contact form like that one. You're kind of iffy about you're like, okay, should I do that? Should I not do that? Because it might only take me an hour. So maybe it's it's worth it to do. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, I need that contact form to go to an email list, that email list to be auto- automatically generated an email. And then it starts like building on top of building on top and building on top. And again, that's when your scope creep happens where you're like, you're doing work that you're not being paid for. You're not going to meet the deadline that was assigned. And the customer doesn't care. They're, they're just throwing out ideas and asking you to do them. Like they're, they don't care that you're not meeting the deadline because it's their own ideas that they're throwing out. You have to be the one that goes to them and either like stops the scope creep, not rudely. Again, this is not something that we're like, no, shut up. Like, don't do that. Obviously not that, but maybe like having a line in the sand where like, okay, listen, this contact form, maybe we can do that, but we can't do these next three steps. That's phase two. That's going to have to be a different quote. That's going to have to be after the deadline because we want to make it to the deadline. We want to make sure we have a product for you 
out and right in front right in front of you so that you can start selling your product or you know promoting your service whatever we want to make sure that you have that ability and so you have to be nice about it you have to be explaining yeah you have to explain to them you don't have to get into the weeds of the technical details clients don't care like most clients don't care there's some technical clients that will so you can do that at your own at your own judgment but regardless just explain that to them make sure that you have that line in the sand though because if you don't again clients are going to take advantage of you left right and center and you're going to be doing work well over your budget well over your time frame and not only is that going to piss you off because now you're doing work for free essentially it's going to piss the client off because now you're going to be late on his project they again they don't care that they're the ones that are making you late they don't see that it's not that they're like a, a lot of the time it's not that they're being a bad person it's that they literally think that adding that feature is like 3 seconds to them to you whatever for whatever reason in their head they don't see it so you it's on you as a developer or as the employee to tell your boss to tell your manager to tell your clients that this is going to take an x amount of time more than what was budgeted yeah um I always see, I always tend to to lean toward the more pessimistic view with stuff like this where I'm always like oh that client's going to you know complain to me like that's where my brain goes when I'm in the meeting and there there's scope there's there's some scope creep happening and I'm always like I don't want to say anything said client's going to get really mad uh at me for saying you know we got to stop in a more polite way and we got to do another invoice type of thing now that might happen with some people we've had that where people say like you're going to charge me for this well generally I yeah um Generally, I do charge for work, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> like sometimes it's literally like, I mean, yeah, like you're 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 using my time. Like yes, you yes, I am going to charge you for that. But uh, you're right, Mike. Like you know, it's it, it's important to keep in mind that a lot of people don't realize what they're doing. Cars are complex. Computers are complex. Uh, what's something else we get fixed? Appliances are complex. These are things where. If you're not an expert uh, or an enthusiast, I don't know why you'd be like a washing machine enthusiast, but if you're not like an enthusiast where you like mess around with them in order to like to fix them, you have no idea the scope of what's going on. So what I try to do, and I'm just going to kind of flip this a little bit is as a customer, actually, is I will literally say to them, you guys are the professionals, you guys tell me and I'll have some dialogue with you. Now, obviously, it's a little more natural than that, but I will literally say to like my car mechanic, he'll be like, this needs to be repaired or whatever. And I'll be like, okay, what is that? Tell me what it is and how vital it is, this and that. And I'll decide whether to do it and when can you do it rather than me being like, well, I need it by tomorrow. And I have negotiated where I'll say, you say this is going to take four hours. If you do this today, I'll pay this right now. So you can, you know, so there's that little bit of dialogue and he's like, yep, let's do it. You know, he's willing to do it that day. Even though it's last minute, little negotiation. But I think that it's important to realize that when you go to a professional, you're going to a professional. And I think a lot of people fail to realize that. And professionals can mess things up. That's why you have to have the dialogue. You've had, you know, you've had people that claim they fixed something, then it broke again immediately, or it, uh, the fix never actually really worked. And he never, you know, he or she never actually like tested said washing machine or something. And then it broke uh, in the same way. And, this and that, like right away, stuff like that. Like, of course, right? But throw it in the, in my opinion, throw it in the professional's court, then make your own logical decisions, ask your questions. And I know I drive people crazy. Like I ask tons of questions of plumbers and stuff like that. Like, how does this work? What do you mean? Why are we doing it like this? Okay, cool, blah, blah, blah. Okay, bye. And then I let them do their work. But I know I drive them crazy, but I think it honestly ends up being better because then I'm like, Jesus, I didn't realize they had to freaking dig this up. Okay, 1200 makes sense. 
Whereas it, whereas people will be like, that only took you three hours. It's like, sure, but there's also like that bit of a value proposition in there where were you willing to dig up your basement floor? Like, did you have the tools and stuff? Because if you screw that up, are there cables under there? Like, I don't know. So go ahead. Like, oh, oh man. Okay. Yeah. You got to do this. Or a comment or a, a one that happened a long time ago was we were getting a little switch fixed in my uncle's car for the, uh, for the brake lights. Cause the brake lights wouldn't turn on when you hit the brake, which is bad. And it was like 565 bucks. And we we're like, yo, what the hell? And the guy actually explained to us, he said, it's hidden under here. And you have to rip all this stuff out, go underneath here, right, right at the wire. It's like, oh, okay, fair enough. And that's it. So have that dialogue, throw it in the professional's court, use your own common sense, ask more questions. And I think that just smooths the whole thing out and try not to take the pessimistic view right away. I, I like that perspective from the client side because it's important to understand where they're coming from as well when you're on the opposite side. So when you're the professional, that's what the client's thinking. And that's a, that you're the ideal client, like you're talking about an ideal client, but it's important to know that. And like a worst case client is the one that would question everything you do and challenge everything you do and pretend that they're almost the professional over you. And sometimes, like Matt mentioned before in one of the first points, sometimes you just got to kind of kill that relationship off. Just snap it. Because if it's causing you more stress and causing you more money, then it's worth keeping because they keep adding scope creep and they keep questioning every move you do and you're not able to deliver a product for them that they want. It's better to end the relationship, maybe suggest someone else, although you know, you're know you passing a terrible client off potentially on someone else, so you probably wouldn't do that. But regardless, it, it, it is good to say no sometimes for your own sanity and for your own business. So with that, uh, let's move on to the next one here, which is asking for too much and paying too little. Now, this one is very common. Uh, I've had many situations. So one, one situation just from my own experience is I got a call. I was in like a pet store. And I got a call from one of our ads that we placed a little while ago for a restaurant uh, website. And I like decent, decent conversation on the phone. Like you said, they, they wanted like a menu, they wanted a contact form, and then they wanted some, uh, an ability to place orders. So some sort of e-commerce. Now this was like probably five years ago now. So it was not as simple as it is right now, just to keep that in mind. Um, and I told them an approximate bill bill of, I think it wasn't even that bad because again, we were just starting out. We've just placed our ad. So I think it was like 1500 to $2,000, nothing crazy. And they were just shocked. Like on the phone, like you could hear the shock. They were like, oh, I, I can't pay more than $300. Like, and they were like, $300 seems like a lot for this. <laughs> so like, again, in that kind of situation, you have to be willing to just say no. Because the that, that amount is insurmountable. If they were like, oh man, that's way too much. Uh, I was thinking in the thousand dollar range, then you can start to like compromise a little bit and be like, hey, awesome. Like that sounds like, that sounds like we can play with this. Maybe, maybe we do the ordering in phase two and we just do the website with the menu for a thousand dollars or something like that. Now I'm making up numbers a little bit because it was so long ago. You negotiate, you negotiate though. Like you're, you know, like, like I think the, like it doesn't matter what the price is, like as long as, you're not too far apart and you can actually negotiate like a course, like in, in the same term, not to interrupt you, but like the same type of stuff applies to a lot of things. Some stores are willing to negotiate with you. Antique dealers always negotiate with you, stuff like that. Uh, maybe not antique dealers, but antique. Like if you're, if you're a picker, like a professional picker, they always negotiate. Like there's, there's, there's industries that negotiate. And I think 
tech is one where generally, depending on your size, you can, unless you're not comfortable with it, then of course set your fixed rates. But yeah, exactly. And like, again, if they're in the same stratosphere, great. If they're not, like if it's literally like, you know, 10 times difference in price that you're that you're suggesting, it's probably better for you to go the other route. Because what we found, and we've we've taken these cheaper clients on before, not that one, but before. These clients that are like lowballing you heavily are actually going to be the most painful clients because they're going to want every dollar of that money to be used, like it, like to be like optimized or whatever. Like they want to know exactly what you're doing for every single cent that, that they've spent. And that is not going to be good for them. That's not going to be good for you. That's not going to be good for anyone. If it's your first client, okay, like, the, you know, there's some argument to be made. Do your best. Try to get a good review and move on. Great. But once you start getting a better, a bit of a, reputa- a bit of a reputation, it's almost better to say no than to start start negotiating. Because again, in that phone call, I heard the like, the audible gasp <laughs> at at my price range. When I hear the audible gasp, I I kind of already am in that mode of like, okay, I need to end this call as soon as possible because it's a waste of time for me. As bad as that sounds, well, that's it's a waste of time for them too. Yeah. Exactly. And like my, uh, Matt and I were actually at like a relative of mine, of my play, of my house. I don't know. This was like a couple of years ago as well. And it was the same kind of situation, not an audible gas, but like, again, we, we suggested one price. They suggested another price. The price was too far. And we ended really amicably. Like I was, we were like, Hey, listen, great. Like there's probably other people that can do that for you for that price, but we're not in that range right now. Like we're in this range that we suggested. We're in a higher range. So, Maybe we can help you a little bit with this, like just just on the side because you're family and whatever, like all that. But we won't be able to do all that. And he was perfectly fine with it. No, no, like, you know, no hard feelings at all uh, because we said no. I think it's really important in these situations, asking for too much and paying too little to be able to say no. And I just want to go through a few other examples that I got from the Twitter because they're they're, <laughs> they're actually pretty good. Uh, one was an Amazon-like e-commerce for $150. This is from Aaron in, in Twitter. Well, when, I, I was going to say 110 I mean. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's pretty. Yeah. You could do it. You could do it for one, 110 <laughs> Yeah. You got you to gotta bargain them down. Then there was, we need an app just like Just Eat with an in-restaurant session. So adding on to a Just Eat app, which is like a uh, food ordering app. And of course, we need you to use data and machine learning to auto suggest. And this, so this one's a little bit more reasonable at eight thousand dollars, right? So now they're like, now they're in a range that's a little bit higher. But you got to start looking at what you're building here. Just Eat was built by you know a team of developers, like a lot of engineers. <laughs> just, just the Just Eat part, right? But then you're talking about the in restaurant session. So now you're adding on a feature. Maybe it's not the most complex feature ever, but whatever. You're adding on a feature to an already extremely complex ap- application. And then they're asking you to use the data that you get from all the um, you know, orders and all that and start suggesting stuff to the clients using a machine learning algorithm that you have to create yourself. So yes, $8,000 is a lot of money, but for this, it's not. So again, it's one of those things that like th- this application would probably cost well over, you know, the six figure mark, realistically, if you want to actually build it properly. Like you can build a shitty version of this for sure. And you can build a shitty version of this for like $200 in like three days. No problem. It's not going to work, but you can build it. <laughs> like it's, yeah. 
but like it's it's one of those things that like you also got to be be aware be wary of those situations where yes they're willing to spend some money like $8000 is not an insignificant amount of money but they're also not in the realm of what it's actually worth so in this situation it's a little bit different because you can actually bargain with them maybe because you already know they have a budget but if you can bargain them and and explain to them that the, what they're asking for is too much, but there is something you can deliver in that range, then maybe they'll be willing to go for it. Again, you have to cut your losses if, if they're going to balk at you cutting a bunch of features. That's fine. But at least you can have that conversation with them. This one actually, was actually by Vito uh, also in Twitter. And again, all those will be in the show notes, all the actual links to the Twitter profiles. Another one is be a whole IT department for $500. I don't know if that's a month. I don't know if that whatever, like for $500. No, you know, once and then we get you <laughs> yeah, yeah. for like your rest of your life. Yeah, you got to be the IT. You got to be the IT department. Like, you know, do their network infrastructure, got get all their security going, you know, fix all their computers. $500. I mean, it's reasonable to me. Because $500. if you do it right, then you should never have to maintain anything, right? That's true, actually. Nothing yeah. will ever so go down and always yeah, work. Yeah, you don't know what you're doing then. If you can't do it for $500, Clearly. you don't know what you're doing. Obviously, we're being sarcastic. Just just want to put that out there. I know not everyone can tell well, sarcasm. Well, I'm not. No, I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. This one was from Saba in the uh, also on Twitter. Uh, okay. So next thing here is asking to support super old hardware and browsers. This and one. You better pay for that. Exactly. That's exactly the re- that's exactly the response that, that you should have. So. For an example, this one from Robert from Twitter, Internet Explorer. If someone were to ask us to support Internet Explorer, now his specific one was Internet Explorer 6. That's a little bit ridiculous. I'm going to put that aside. Let's just say Internet Explorer. <laughs> like, oh, his, his example was too ridiculous. We have to lessen it for the ridiculous topic episode. Yeah, for the, but, like, but, we have but, to just, okay. sorry, bud. We got we to gotta draw this back a little bit here. I had, I had a little conversation with him because the Internet Explorer 6 was interesting. He said that, it took him almost just as long to set up an environment that can run Internet Explorer 6 as actually doing the thing. So, like, just who's, getting... Who is using... Okay. Who is using <laughs> Internet Explorer 6? Like... I don't like, know. There comes, I... there comes a time where it's like, dude, seriously, go to, go to like, a secondhand market, Facebook Marketplace, whatever. You can find a computer for a couple hundred bucks that's, like, 10 years old, and it will be more modern than that. Correct. All right. It, it, it might be some like, okay, so there, we know that there's some systems out there that are running like Fortran that <sighs> are running. You, you know that there's like some very, very ancient like logistical systems that are embedded into these massive banks and corporations that are just running some really important stuff that are running on this crappy, really crappy hardware um, because it's just too expensive and almost like impossible to upgrade because there's just not enough developers that know that language, which is kind of dangerous right now. That Now that I think about it, like there's probably a lot of really critical systems running on shit like this and we're losing developers that can actually maintain it probably by the day. So it's a, it's, it's a little bit uh, concerning, but regardless, you know that that's a situation and that's probably where that Internet Explorer 6 came up. But honestly, like I wouldn't. I just would be like, I, I don't have any experience with that. Like, I can't support Internet Explorer six. Like, I don't. I don't know web technologies from back then. I wasn't even around. Like, I. I don't. Like, I, w- I was around, but like, I wasn't around tech when Internet Explorer six was the, all the rage. <laughs> 
So I'm, I would probably just refuse, but Internet Explorer is a different one. Like we have had to support it in the last five years. Like when was the last time we had to support Internet Explorer, Matt? I can't think of Internet, I can't think for Internet Explorer, but, um, we did have to support dial up. Yeah. Uh, so we did end up doing like it was we were going to do like there was a big table that needed to be like displayed, but all the information in the table was going to be public. It was literally just like display this information and it was going to be a database because a big I mean, it was a lot of data, but it couldn't. Or at least we couldn't figure out how to do it because it, the performance was just too bad on dial up and the site needed to support dial up. So I ended up literally making a database in HTML. Like I duplicated the database in HTML in the table because it was all supposed to be public information anyway. It took for freaking ever. It was a pain to maintain, but it worked and it loaded. So, yep. yeah. <laughs> but again, again, like that took you extra amount of work. So you should charge extra amount of time for that or extra amount of uh, money. I don't think we did in that case because we didn't know it was going uh, to. We did we, maintenance. Maintenance we did. Oh, we did maintenance. Okay, cool. So we, we did we did get some out of it. But regardless, just keep that in mind. When you're asked to support really old hardware, that's not an offhand ask. That is absolutely going to be a pain. I've I've personally dealt with older versions of Android, and that was such a pain. Like Android four, I, I had to, I had to support Android four for a very long time, um, even like five years after it was out, essentially. <laughs> and it was really freaking difficult because it doesn't have any of the modern like it, it can't use lets or consts. If you're that, talking that about web, that makes sense views. though. I, that that's rather like that's rather modern, to be fair. It's it's kind of it's almost at the time like it it was just barely the cutoff point. And I'm talking web view, like embedded web view. When I was using a Cordova application, just to clarify, like you can obviously download a newer browser on an Android four uh, phone that supports that. But when you're using a web view. If you're using something like Cordova to package your application, you're actually relying on the built-in web view when it's an older device. Just to clarify again, uh, that that's why that that issue was there. So I couldn't use any lets or const. I was using vars forever, like for the entire time that uh, people were already using lets or const for probably two years, and they were supported by all the browsers. Um, there was other like for each, like you couldn't use any of the new EMCA 2016 stuff, like none of it. You couldn't use any of the new um, array oh, operators, nothing. So I, I, I'm really good at iterating over arrays. <laughs> so that's something, I guess. But I, again, I, I didn't have as much experience with the new stuff, like spread operators and maps and all that stuff, which now I'm starting to get better at. But I didn't have a lot of uh, a lot of experience with it before because I was having to support Android 4 WebView. No, no choice. So, but when I, because of that, it made the comp, the project much more complex, which made me charge more. So it's a give or take. Like, I don't mind doing that if we're getting paid. If you're not getting paid, you're going to be angry. So that's where, that's where you have to be, again, you have to be explained to the customer that this isn't something that is just easy. It will require a little bit more. So either you're okay with paying a little bit more or you are okay with dropping support for that browser because there's only like 1% or something like that. I'd like to say too, uh, just as an aside, I looked up Internet Explorer 6. It came out August 24, 2001. So almost exactly 20 years as of this recording date. Yeah, if you're if you're supporting that, then hats off to you. Like, you know what? Let us know <laughs> on, on the socials, HTML, everything on Twitter. Uh, if you're, if you've had to support Internet Explorer 6 or lower in the last, let's say, five years. Even. Now, here's something crazy, though. The last version 
that came out stably for Internet Explorer 6 was in 2008. Wow. So they updated it? Like, they updated what, what, just uh, just just 6, yeah. That's which weird. was 6.0 SP3, which is more than likely Service Pack 3. Yes. Sir. So 13 in- years ago, they updated it. Interesting. I wonder why. I wonder if there was some sort of like banking system or something using it. You know what I mean? Uh, well, a lot of this stuff is like, at least from what I've seen, and there's, I don't read all the patch notes for stuff, but uh, it's usually like, oh, there's like an issue that is causing like a security problem just in IE6. Some people refuse to update, so we'll just update I- IE6. Right. Like software like was different back then, right? Yeah, yeah, software was different back then where it was like you would perpetually buy, like I would buy like Word whatever version and i would just have that until i bought another one so they would update word if there were security problems or whatever it is so ie i realized that it comes with your windows license but they probably same mentality i would estimate i'm not sure but yeah no i think you're right i think you're right um okay so next thing here is misusing the term mvp now this one came from alex uh from the uh from twitter and this one I've I've actually experienced quite a bit as well. Um, it's like, hey, we're going to build this MVP. So MVP, for anyone that doesn't uh, know, is minimal viable product. Essentially, the intention with it is you're building something that is being built. Like you're you're really focusing on a feature or a couple features that you that you need for this application to work and to test its viability. The viable product is the important part of that. You want to test with like a subset of an audience or like just an early audience to see if your idea is good. And you want to build something with only a few features so that it's A, easy to build, easy to maintain, fast to market. Those are the key things, right? You want to make sure that it gets out there quickly. It's obviously a decent product of some of, of what you're trying to do, like a subset of what you're trying to do. And it gives you the ability to get valuable feedback immediately. Now, a lot of the times engineering managers or just product managers or whatever will misuse this and try to pack in a ton of stuff into an MVP. So an MVP for like, I'm just trying to think a popular application like Twitter, for instance, let's say Twitter, an MVP for Twitter would be like literally posting tweets, right? Posting and, and viewing and just tweets. text, probably just, just text, text too. Just text. Yeah, yeah exactly. But an engineer, like a product manager, might try to throw in, "Hey, I want you to support images in there in the first in the first phase. I want you to support uh, being able to d- direct message each other. I want you, to, you know, those are going to try to th- like throw in as many features as possible into an MVP. When that's not the point. The point of the MVP is to test the product, not to have a fully functioning product that has all the features that you were talking about, like you know, in in the in the early stages of building the company. But no, it's to test that your idea is sound. The idea of Twitter is tweeting." So we're building tweets. So as as the engineers, as the developers, you have to push back. You have to be like, hey, like we need you want this out in, in two months or three months to be able to test. We need to cut all these extra extra fluff that you have. Like it's it's just one of those it's one of those situations where you have to be willing to step up and kind of put your foot down, whether it's with a client or whether it's with a uh, boss. You need to do that. Otherwise, you're not going to meet your deadlines. And that's really the, the big thing. The big takeaway with a lot of these points are you want to be able to provide the product that you, you're promised to provide. And a lot of the times, the customer themselves will be the one that's fighting you and preventing you from doing that. It's not going to be yourself. It's going to be the customer suggesting, hey, with the scope creep thing, adding a feature. Hey, with the MVP thing, hey, let's put a feature before we even like a feature that we won't be able to, you know, 
we won't be able to build in enough time, so you have to fight fight those things. Uh, another thing too with MVPs as well is is MVPs kind of come up a lot uh, for hobbyist projects. So like you're you're absolutely right. Your definition of it is absolutely right for the professional stuff. But what what MVPs are also used for is sort of hobbyist things. So if Mike really likes the Terminator movies and he goes and he wants to make a Terminator movie app where it has all the trivia and all kinds of stuff in there. His first MVP might just be trivia. And then maybe the actual full idea is that the movies actually stream on there or something as well. And because you're passionate, your MVP can also run out of control just by yourself because you're like, Oh, it'd be super cool to have banners. Oh, it'd be super cool to have all the metadata. Oh man, we should have it to be streaming and you'll get like too fired up as well. So Customers, I think the reason why I mentioned this is because customers might also be fired up, but they're just hiring out. You know, we as web developers might get fired up about making some sort of website and then we go make it ourselves. But people, non-web developers, will get fired up about a website idea and then come to us. So sometimes you have to sort of rein that in. It's just something to look out for is sometimes people aren't being nefarious. Again, there's that little bit of being pessimistic, but they're not being nefarious with trying to get you to do too much in an MVP. They're maybe a bit too passionate. So suggesting things like phases, like, hey, let's do a phase one, two, three program, this and that. Let's do this, let's do that. Because sometimes they don't even care about the performance. They just want to get it out there because they think it's cool. Even if it's just a tool for themselves. So just a just something to to throw into the mix there. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that too because it's it's not like a lot of our audience is also in the hobbyist realm too, right? So it's important mm-hmm. to kind of apply some apply some of these tactics to yourself and to a project that you build because you can you can for sure bring yourself to have scope creep. That's for sure possible. You can have oh, that yeah. for you can do that yourself. You can try to support older harder yourself for whatever reason then you can you can have that internal conversation that we were having. Uh, with like with a client or with a boss, you can have it with yourself as well, and kind of you can of- have a scope creep in in things that aren't even this though. Like you could have scope creep in like if you're trying to like learn to exercise, like if you're like I've never worked out, I want to start working out, and then you come up with some crazy thing where you have to change your whole diet, all your wardrobe needs to change. You need to like you know it's like Jesus, like maybe try like running on the treadmill or something for a bit, and then adding to your plan rather than changing your whole life tomorrow night. You know, stuff stuff like that. Like we we scope creep all kinds of stuff. We scope creep like, oh man, it'd be nice to have like this type of car. Ah, you know what? Maybe I can get a luxury car. Maybe I can get the you know, and then scope creep again. You just start going to ham. Yep, exactly. Um, okay, so we're gonna have to wrap it up soon. But last last point here is instant user base. This one's a big one too. Actually, <laughs> we've had we've kind of had this. Uh, we haven't had this ask really, but I, I have heard this before where. Someone comes up to you and is like, hey, I need you to build me an, a social network and it needs to have a million users in like six months, right? No worries. $28 million, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So exactly. But like that is a tactic. A tactic is just telling them a ridiculous sum of money and you can you can come up with a an actual sum that will get there, but it's usually going to be in a very high amount. This is what a lot of people don't realize when they're building an application, especially an application that's targeted towards the general public and that requires there to be a user base for it to work, right? So like a restaurant review platform or a, a platform for meeting friends or something like that. All of those, while great ideas, there could be great unique features that Facebook doesn't have or whatever, 
they require you to first build out the network of people and then really apply that to those people. So it's it's a different mindset. And a lot of people, like if you have a meeting, like, I don't know, we've had a couple of these, at least, Matt, where we've sit, we sat down with someone that's like, hey, I want to meet with you, maybe ha- partner up and do a project together, whatever. We usually take those meetings because who knows what can come after them, but we come in with a very skeptical mindset and we come in intentionally trying to poke holes, right? Because if you're not going to do that, then you're going to be wasting time. And if by chance we get to a meeting and we're able to, you know, you know, poke a million different ways and there's an answer for every single one of them, then maybe there's a way for us to work together, right? It, that's what we're hoping for. That's why we take these meetings. But most of the time what happens is like they have all these great ideas, but then it comes to like the user base. It always comes to the user base. And you're like, okay, restaurant review platform, sure. How are you going to get people to use it? Well, I'm going to go to restaur- like to all the restaurants individually and get them. Like it's, no, you're not going to do that. I just know, like I... I'm going to cut that off like immediately. You're not going to be able to go to every restaurant and get them to put their menus on your on your website. You're not going to be able to go to every restaurant and get them to put reviews on there that they've already had or something like that. And then it's like the other way around. It's like, okay, how are you going to get people to review it? Well, I'm going to I'm going to go to parties and I'm going to talk. What are we talking about here? They're talking about seven people, like 20 people. How is that going to generate our income? Like for this to succeed, it's going to need hundreds of thousands of people to use it. For any of these like large social platforms that people want to do, that's what it's going to require. The first step in that process is to build the audience, to build the, the, the people, like get a mailing list going, get your audience on Twitter going, like build connections, like get the audience. Then once you have an audience to test with and that will promote your product, yeah, you can probably, you can maybe start going into it, but it's still going to be a slog. Because again, promoting to the general public is not easy. It's a crowded market. It's going to require money, conversion rate, the burn rate. It's going to require like, what's the what's the uh, customer acquisition cost? You're going to have to answer those questions because when you're going to an investor or something like that, it's going to have to happen. When someone comes to you and they ask you, hey, I need an instant user base of a million users, I would guarantee you should say no. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, unless it's something where you, you're there and they're, they're trying to start a whole startup and they're going to pay you really well and they're going to be years and years and years and you're going to be able to like get a marketing department, this, that, and the other thing, which is something that will probably never happen. No, because it's, it's like, because a lot of people never realize, like they come up with an idea and you can vet it, like Mike's saying, and then you can vet it and poke holes in it. But let's say the idea, the, the idea is a good idea there's there's problems with it that you can fix and tweak and this and that, but the actual core idea is good. If the core idea is good, then that's great, but how do you get the eyeballs and how do you get the signups and how do you get all the different pieces of the community put together and you can't just make one tonight? You can't just call, go on Reddit and be like, Hey everybody, I have this new app. Come come and get it and everyone comes and gets it. You can't shoot to be viral. You can shoot to be seen and know that a majority of the people that see it are just going to move on. So you're aiming for as many eyeballs as you can on your product and hopefully some of those people that see it will sign up, but it's a slow grind. And yes, viral things happen and no you can't really predict them all that well. Or at least we can't. And most people can't. So 
Because some stuff is, is meant to be viral and actually does go viral. Some stuff's meant to be viral and doesn't go viral. So being viral is a bit of a science, a bit of randomness, a bit of a, a thing you can't really reliably solve. So... Yeah, and also like being viral doesn't mean anything. Like you can have a post go viral see by seen by the entire world and really it means nothing cuz the world forgets immediately. Oh yeah, they're not going to sign up necessarily. You could have a million no. people and get like 10,000 signups. That's great, but it's not your million. It's not your million or nor is it those nor are those 10,000 signups going to be that valuable to you because they're probably going to try it out and leave. You need to get and th- this is getting a little bit off topic now. It's not really about the requirements. It's about audience building. And we're going to have episodes on that in the future, actually. Um, but you need to kind of think of it differently. You need to build that audience, essentially. You need to build the fans. You need to build the people that are going to be using it first before you can build any sort of these massive social media platforms. Or or you spend a bunch of money. You get celebrity endorsements. You spend like hundreds of millions of dollars on advertising. And then, yes, you have a chance. But again, people that come to us are not in that mindset. So we know that it's not going to happen. That's why, again, I always immediately poke holes on the audience building side. If the if a person comes to us with 200,000 followers and a, a solid audience, there's going to be a different conversation. Like there's just going to be because now we're mutually benefiting. We can build you this product for your audience. That's the difference there. But building a product while you're like building a product for you for free while your audience is also, you know, zero doesn't make sense or even for for money. Like I just I I don't know. I guess we would take the project on if we were getting paid well, even knowing it was going to fail. Like I don't know. I don't know. I'm kind of ethically iffy about that. Um, Maybe you do believe in the founder or something like that and you do it. But regardless, it's just one of those situations where I just it's. It's iffy, and again, it's beyond the scope of this episode for sure. So I think, I think with that, we're we're actually good to go here, Matt. Do you have anything else you want to add? No, and I think it's time to run the old conclusion here. So yep. many thanks to our three dollar tier patrons. Remember that if you want to become a three dollar tier patron or any other pay uh, any other patron at all, gotta smoothen that transition up. But if you want to become a patron and support the show, that's uh, Patreon.com/slash/html. All the things. And uh, many thanks once again to our $3 tier patron, Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript on YouTube.com slash RabbitWorks JavaScript. Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design on LocalPathComputing.com. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on BlueBlackDigital.com. Chris from Self-Made Web Designer on SelfMadeWebDesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker on TheWebHacker.com. DL Ford from DLFord.io. Bip Hashdash from 9 Block Media on 9BlockMedia.com. Jason from Geek Life Radio via GeekLifeRadio.com. Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via MCWebStudio.ca. Magnus from YesWeb.se. And Jeff from Twitter via the Rithic, via at, excuse me, via at the Rithic. Got to do that little Twitter piece in there. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on. And this outro will sign us off. Been listening to HTML All the Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All the Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All the Things signing off.